You're listening to the Better Than Fiction Bible Podcast. I'm Gandalf. I'm Matt. And I'm Nathan Van Horn. The Bible is the most read book ever, but for many, it is merely fiction. Join our conversation as we connect the dots to reveal that the story of the Bible is not only true, it's better than fiction. To learn more about the show, visit us online at betterthanfictionbiblepodcast.com. Welcome back, listener, to the seventh episode of the Better Than Fiction Bible Podcast. I'm glad that you guys are here. And in addition, I'm glad that Nathan Van Horn and Matt have chosen to once again join us. And if you want to take just a moment, I'd like to remind you that sharing and liking and subscribing to this podcast is really the driving force behind acquiring new listeners. At the time of this recording, we have over 300 regular listeners, and that's because you guys are subscribing and sharing. In fact, according to our metrics, it's telling me that most of y'all are not subscribed. Most of our listeners are just choosing to find us. But if you're subscribing, it's going to make sure that your podcast player, whatever that is, is constantly reminding you and updating you whenever new episodes come out. So if you could subscribe, that really helps us out and helps reach the podcast to a new audience. Especially, we'll make a note here, uh, you ladies, uh, 45, or 35 to 45, we noticed the podcast is not as popular with you guys. I understand, you know, you have my sympathy there. But if you guys could also share, or you not you guys, you wonderful ladies could share, that would be fantastic. I'm sure that has nothing to do with the nerdy pop culture references we drop. Yeah, somehow I think we're just not appealing. You know, <laughs> it, I understand. Yeah. yeah, I'm I'm reliving all of my middle school insecurities. <laughs> <laughs> well, today we are going to dive deep into properly into Genesis chapter two. Is that right, guys? That's right. You're finally done with the first creation account. The first creation account. Uh, the way you say that makes me think that we're going into a second creation account. Yeah, and that begs the question. You know, if if the Bible is true. And if the creation account of the Bible is to be trusted, then why do we have more than one? And why do they say different things? Okay, so you weren't joking. There, you, there really are two creation accounts in Genesis. Yeah, kind of. I mean, yeah, you could say it that way. <laughs> They're very different. And I think that's one of the reasons is that when you say, hey, there's two creation accounts, that some people are like, wait, what? It's because they don't sound anything like each other. And that's what we're going to point out today. Yeah, the first one we've got, you know, these seven orderly, well-structured days and, you know, things being given in a certain order. In our second account, uh, there's not an emphasis on those seven days starting at Genesis 2-4. And you don't even necessarily see the same ordering of the created events. And so that's raised a lot of questions, especially in the era of modern critical study, uh, where we know so much more than everyone who came before us. Right, Matt? That was sarcastic. That was oh, sarcastic. Well, and Yes, and that was my sarcastic assumption. So what is true, though, is that we do get the name of the book from this second account, whether it's a full second creation account or just a second account. Uh, we do get the name of the book. It comes from uh, the second account, not the first. Yeah, so in Hebrew, especially for the first five books of the Bibles, uh, they just took in the you know in the Hebrew Old Testament they just took the name of the book from the opening words. So uh, in Hebrew, the title for what we call Genesis is just Bereshit from Genesis one. Bereshit bara Elohim et aretz. What we translate in the beginning Bereshit is just the Hebrew title. In Greek, 
um, they would often find a, a word that captures what's going on in the book. So that's why we have Exodus for Exodus. Um, and in Genesis 2-4, as Matt mentioned, uh, we have the statement, these are the generations of the heavens and the earth. Um, the, the Greek word uh, for generations, if, if, if that's how it's to be translated, or origins, some would say it's, it's more loosely in the Greek, uh, is uh, genesios or genesios. Um, or just Genesis, which uh, doesn't necessarily mean generations. It can also mean origins. Uh, and that's how we have the title with which we are more familiar. So if we were literally translating the title of this first book of the Bible, it would be origins. Well, I, actually, it would be more like generations, but they, they, they understood it more as origins. I see. But, it, but still, it comes from the second account, not the first. Uh, but that that brings us back to the fundamental question: If if this is an authoritative account, why are why do we have two accounts, and why are they so different? Well, before we go any farther, let's I say let's go ahead and read this second account, and then we can figure out what's going on from there. You got it. This is coming from the ESV. If you want to follow along, these are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created, in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens when no bush of the field was yet in the land and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up for the lord god had not caused it to rain on the land and there was no man to work the ground and a mist was going up from the land and was watering the whole face of the ground then the lord god formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. Very good. So, what are some of the approaches? Because this is, you know, obviously we're not the first ones to consider this question. Matt, what are some of the approaches that people have taken to reconciling these two accounts? And uh, whether we have a favorable or unfavorable view, what are some of the key factors that we need to consider in looking at uh, Genesis 1 1 through 2 3? alongside what follows in Genesis 2, 4 following. Yeah, that's a good point. And maybe to help folks understand, because like, what are we emphasizing? What is the difference? Just to remind people that Genesis chapter 1, you have the days of creation, uh, successive days with different elements of creation. Genesis chapter 2, verses 4 through 7, everything seems to kind of be smashed together. It doesn't talk about... It's a casserole, Matt. Right, exactly. It's Rather than the days of creation, there in Genesis 2-4, it says, rather, in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. So immediately, that word is being used differently there than it is in the first uh, account, uh, because we're not talking about successive days. We're talking about the, the day here. And if they were literal successive days, they can't also be many and one unless the word is being used differently here. So uh, those are just some of the differences. And then also just the whole idea of just the state of the creation that we just read, that, that, that no bush of the field had yet come up, no small plant of the field had yet sprung up for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land. There was no man to work the ground. And then immediately just jumps to man. So why, understanding what you're saying, why this and not that that we found in Genesis 1. And I think there are three different ways of explaining the two accounts 
even though I think it's probably, as I mentioned earlier, a stretch to say there's two full accounts of creation, but there, there's certainly, that's the popular way of referring to it. There's two accounts. So there are, are three different ways, um, and that is there are accounts that are in conflict, there are accounts that are complementary, and there are accounts that are cooperative. Uh in fact, why don't Nathan, why don't you begin by walking us through what would the accounts in conflict, what would that mean? Yeah, and and certainly these are not, you know, options A, B, and C, and it has to be one of these, but these do capture three, I think three broad points on a spectrum of views, right? Um, so some some that see the accounts in conflict uh, would appeal to things like source criticism. Uh, and they would appeal to certain features in the text, some of which you already mentioned. Uh, yeah, I don't, ha I don't have any idea what source criticism is. I feel like that uh, Celine Dion song, all by myself. <laughs> um, so yeah, so source criticism essentially holds, and 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 again, you have some very spiritual, you know, uh, believing people that would still have this view. This is this is this is not my way of accounting for what we see. Uh, but some some would say. Uh, you know, the Bible is ultimately a product of different sources that have been placed together over time. Uh, and whether or not there is some of that, um, is that the best, ex uh, is that the best explanation of what's going on here? Uh, but to those who, you know, really look through that lens, they would say, hey, we have an account in Genesis 1 through 1, 1 through 2, 3, and an account in Genesis 2, 4 following. Uh, they don't refer to God the same way. We'll, we'll come back to that. Uh, the first one has seven orderly days of creation, and, and the second one has in the day God created, different features of that sort. And they'll say, well, these are two different accounts that were written by the believing community uh, or perhaps by different segments of the believing community at different points in their history. And so ultimately, they have two and ultimately different they, sources. Exactly. They, they kept these two different sources and just put them together with an abrupt transition. These are the generations of. Um, because they knew that one day we would be making these podcasts and that they put that statement there to force <laughs> yeah. us, that, that, to force us onward to talk about something else. Um, uh, you have others who would see these accounts. And, and so by, by that first view, that source critical view, these accounts are in conflict and they're ultimately irreconcilable, right? Right. Um, but you other, you also have others that see these, uh, accounts in conflict, uh, but in a, in a reconcilable way. So I think of theistic evolutionists, um, you know, biologos and things like that, who would say that one of these accounts, usually in their view, the first one is, is meant to be more poetic and, and metaphorical. And the second is to be taken more literally. Um, right. Uh, and by the way, just because I know there's going to be people listening and it's like, wait, theistic evolutionists? And depending on the context that you grew up in, uh, you know, evolution in the church is such a bad word. And so immediately when you say something like that is uh, for some, it's like when you say theistic evolution, well, how could somebody be a theistic evolutionist and actually believe the Bible? Well, there's some very famous theistic evolutionists, like uh, one we were talking about beforehand, Tim Keller. I mean, he holds the, the view you're talking about. Or yeah, or even uh, Francis Collins, N.T. Wright. Sure. You've got some, you've got some heavy hitters. Uh, one of my reservations with that is, again, it, it seems to be doing a different form of the same phenomenon we discussed a lot in Genesis 1. It seems to be forcing it into our modern frameworks rather than taking it on its own terms. Uh, you know, and, and e even the idea, I, I can't remember exactly, I think it was uh, Rabbi Ibn Ben Ezra 
in the 11th or 12th century was really the first to raise, and I could be wrong on that uh, for, you know, everything is fact-checked nowadays, so uh, I, I submit my stupidity to anyone who finds me wrong on this. Um, but uh, I, I think it was even Ben Ezra in, in the 11th or 12th century who was the first to really highlight uh, some of the differences and, and see them in conflict between these two accounts. Uh, but a theistic evolutionist uh, you know, says, okay, there's conflicts, but they're, they're reconcilable. Uh, one is poetic, one is, is more literal. And, and notably, they, go, they choose as uh, literal the one that allows more fuzzy room for interpretation, right? What is a day? You, if, if that's the literal one, then you don't have the hard questions about days from Genesis 1-1 following where, where you have uh, uh, day and night, light and dark before you have sun, moon and stars. Okay, so if the theistic evolutionist says, okay, these two accounts can be reconciled, how does the creation of Adam and Eve factor into that? Because that would seem like an irreconcilable element to me. Uh, yeah, and I, I, in fact, that would be my immediate pushback is that it seems to me the way they would reconcile it is that as um, all of the matter that came before Adam and all of the evolution that came before Adam, that as death happened and leading up to the creation of man, that at some some point, as the progress of macroevolution took place, eventually evolution reached a point where God gave the biological process of evolution uh, his, in a sense, uh, divine stamp of divine breath, where he declared at that moment the creation is in my image. So that it was a divinely guided process where God was, through biological processes in the process of evolution, bringing man out of matter and then putting his stamp of image on that and filling man once the biological process had been complete. I, I think to, to me, I, I, I'm not a theistic evolutionist and you know, perhaps theistic evolutionist is listening right now and they're saying you're butchering it. Uh, but uh, that's where they would argue that God guided the process and then interrupted the process with filling man with his image. That that's why I had you field it instead of me, Matt. If if we got a you know if we got if we got a, it's it's yeah, on me. If, if, if we got a backlash, I wanted I wanted it to be addressed to you. Uh, feel free to contact us on our website, bettyfixedbiopodcast.com. <laughs> uh, I, I think that's relatively fair. One of my struggles with the theistic evolution view um, is uh, a, a way that it's commonly stated uh, is that there are pre-human, pre-mankind hominids, human-like creatures, you know, think of the old evolutionary chart uh, that are, you know, existing for however uh, long and, and evolving for however long until you finally get to this one stage, like you're saying, and, and God uses that stage uh, to give the divine spark or breathe the breath of life into, and, and thus the first man. But in both creation accounts, both in, in the one we looked at uh, and, in, and in what we're getting into today, you know, culminating in Genesis 2-7, the creation of man uh, in Genesis 1, functionally, and in, in this account, uh, Genesis 2-7, uh, the formation of man is a special creation, is a special activity of God. In, you know, in Genesis 1, it's the only thing uh, that God either consoles himself or counsels himself or announces to the divine counsel, as we talked about. In Genesis 2, it's God forming man dust from the, dust from the ground, right? It's, it's not... 
God taking a you know a a point on the spectrum and saying, okay, this one will be mankind. Uh, it, it and to me that view loses a little bit of the image of God language uh, that I think the Bible is really trying to hold. And again, I could be wrong, but uh, it doesn't seem to be the most organic reading of the text for me. Well, there is a view, and it's held by I can think of uh, a scholar that we've mentioned already on this podcast, Michael Heiser. Uh, anyway, Doctor Heiser, the way he understands the creation accounts is he understands them as two separate creations that Genesis one and Genesis two are talking about two separate creations that complement each other rather than talking about a conflict between accounts. He sees them as two specific creation accounts that they're, they're actually talking about two different creation acts that took place. And so here's the way that he would explain this. Uh, is that he sees Genesis 1 as the creation of the habitable world where he creates mankind in his image. He sees Genesis 2, or not just him, those that hold to this view, would see Genesis 2 as the special creation of Adam. So he sees that, that when God made man in his image in Genesis 1, that that is talking about humanity in general, but that Genesis 2 is talking about the specific creation of Adam alone. So he's acknowledging that there are two creation accounts of humanity. And it, it does, this view does solve some problems because in, in later when you think about the, the, you know, the old question, where did Cain get his wife? And, uh, you know, uh, most people say, oh, he just married his sister. Well, Dr. Heiser would just say, or, or others that hold this view. No, no, there were other humans on the earth that God created. Adam was the only human that God placed in the garden to be its keeper, to be the priest for the rest of mankind. Anyway, it's, it's taking the theme that God has a special called human being to be the go-between between him and the rest of creation, namely the relationship he's going to have with Israel, and then also the relationship of of Christ representing, uh, you know, uh, God to the world. It, it's taking that theme and reading it back onto Genesis and to try to say there's two different accounts. Uh, I don't hold to this view personally. I do respect Dr. Heiser, but I, 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 I don't hold to this view at all. But it is a view that's, that's out there. So if this view that Dr. Heiser holds to, if it solves all these problems, um, it seems weird that I've never heard of this view before. I have heard of some of the other things you guys have brought up, but in this one in particular, I don't think I've ever heard anything any, even close to this before. It's a view that's very much found in academia. It, it's it it, it 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 no, not very much. It's a view that's home is in academia. You do not hear about this view in just regular church circles. What well, and I would say. Uh... To that, I think you captured something, Matt, uh, because, you know, on first glance, this is a very attractive view. It, it seems to dissolve some of the seeming differences, you know, if, if we're just talking about two different uh, spheres of reference uh, or, you know, t uh, a you know zooming in on the garden in Genesis 2. Uh, the struggle for me is that you haven't heard it more often, exactly what Gandalf said. And part of, part of my struggle there is, Again, as we've stressed before, we are not the first people to come to the Bible seeking to interpret it. And for the vast majority of church history, this is an undocumented view. This is right. This, this is just not, too novel. 
It's just too yeah, novel it, for me. Yeah, it just does. It does not have much support uh, in church history until you know more recent decades, uh, the last century, century and a half. Um, and so it's it's a little it's a little novel, and and I would say it it's not without its complications. Sure. Um, so especially you know something Matt talked about in episode five about how does the New Testament interpretation of the Old Testament serve as as a guide for us. Uh, the New Testament authors, the way that they use Genesis, um, makes this view problematic. So, uh, and I hope this doesn't go too deep, but, you know, Matt talked about 2 Peter 3. Uh, it captures, on the one hand, aspects of the first creation account, uh, but it also uh, captures aspects that flow out of the second creation account. Uh, things like the flood, uh, things like uh, Sodom and Gomorrah. I think of Paul, uh, who Matt mentioned, you know, in Colossians and Ephesians, uh, who talks about, you know, the physical and spiritual aspects of creation. And yet Paul develops the most directly, uh, you know, uh, the Christology that utilizes Christ as the second Adam. And if Christ is the second Adam, then what about all those people, according to this reading, who existed before Adam? You know, how, how can Adam be representative of what happens to humanity as a whole if there were human people created prior to him. Uh, and so I'm sure there are ways to nuance that view, but it, it both the, you know, the it's, it's positive in, in church history, uh, the positive of the evidence in church history, and some of the ways that, it, again, doesn't provide the most organic uh, reading of the biblical evidence on a whole, uh, gives, me, gives me some, you know, reservation uh, upon reflection. Uh, so Matt, uh, we've talked about conflict. We've talked about complementary. Um, where where do we land? What's that third point on the spectrum for you know for the predictably for the Baptist pastors to land? <laughs> that, uh, that's right. <laughs> I, I would say uh, I knew they I knew they I knew they were going to fall on this view. Yeah, exactly. Um, cooperative is the the last one, which is I believe that Genesis one and Genesis two are talking about the same thing. And they are talking about them in different ways, uh, or as you've said to me in conversation, it's the it's the it, they're a chorus, they're concert with each other, or they're they're in harmony with each other. They're talking about the same thing, that they're not in conflict with each other like those first views. They're they're not complementary in the sense that you've got one view talking about one creation and one view comp- talking about another creation but rather they're cooperative, that they're both working together to describe different aspects of the same creation. I, I do not believe Genesis 1 and 2 are in conflict, and I do not believe they're talking about two different creations. Rather, I believe Genesis 1 is talking about the the macro view, the zoomed-out view of creation, whereas it's revealing the greatness of God in creation, where Genesis 2 is focusing in on the personal level, the personal interaction that God has with his creation. It's which really, by the way, is the story makes the turn here to the personal, and it never stops as you go forward in Genesis. It's it leaves it at that personal level. It doesn't zoom out again. Well, and that's and that's what I love. Um Matt, when we were in Genesis 1, we talked about uh, God creating, and, and you talked about that word Elohim uh, being ontological, not who God is, but what God is, right? This this right. elevated spiritual being. In Genesis 2, 4 following, one of the shifts that we see 
is a shift to calling God not just Elohim, but Yahweh Elohim. Suddenly, it's not just what God is, it's who God is. And and right. one of the ways one of the ways that I love how that plays out, that relational component that you just mentioned, is look at the transition of God speaking in Genesis 1 versus Genesis 2, 4 following. In Genesis 1, God speaks concerning his creation, or he speaks to his creation. Let there be, and it happens. In Genesis 2, 4 following, God speaks to his creation and with his creation, uh, and he allows creation to speak to itself. God speaks to Adam. He gives him, you know, commands, um, but he also allows Adam to take an active speaking role in the creative process. Whatever Adam, and this is more, I know, next episode stuff, but Adam gets to decide the names of the creatures in the garden. When God makes Eve as a helpmate for Adam, uh, Adam does what I call ancient Hebrew R&B. You know, have, you have to picture that song all my life. But Adam is the <laughs> last person who speaks in creation in Genesis 2. It's it's inherently more relational. Uh, and, and we have, uh, uh, I, I even love, you know, uh, versing God, uh, verse God speaking uh, mankind into existence. Look what we have in Genesis 2, 7. Uh, God forming the man dust from the ground. Uh, here's a God who, and I know this is very preachery, but here's a God who's willing to get his hands dirty from the very beginnings of his dealings with humanity. I love the image of God uh, playing in the sand, so to speak, to form mankind in his image. I, I just, that absolutely, I love that. So is it fair to say that everything we've read up to this point was prologue and now everything beyond this point and from Genesis 2, 4 onward is like the real story? Like in Star Wars, where you have the opening title crawl and the camera pans down and you're in space and the real story is kicking off. Well, and I, and I think that's a great analogy, Gandalf. Um, and here's why. Uh, one of the things that I tell people to pay attention to when they're reading the biblical story is the pacing of the story. Anytime the story slows down, pay attention. And again, Genesis 1 went start to finish, uh, you know, in in. in one chapter or, you know, one, one to two, three, look at how things slow down when you get to Genesis two, four following. It's, it's just this much more intimate focus, uh, you know, that the opening crawl in Star Wars can cover as much as it wants in that scrolling text. Uh, but the main driving action will be in the movie that follows. And I think that's, I think that's exactly what you find in Genesis two, four following. And, and we get indicators in the text that that's the case. Uh, Matt already mentioned, uh, the word uh, that's, you know, you know, translated generations uh, and from which we get the, the title Genesis. Um, in Hebrew, it's this word totally doth. And for the rest of Genesis, we will see this recurring formula that moves the story forward. It occurs 10 times in the book of Genesis. That's too much to be, you know, accident. Let me just read those in English so people know what you're talking about. So in Genesis 2-4, the totally doth, these are the generations of the heaven and the earth, heavens and the earth. Uh, well, if you skip forward to Genesis 5, 1, you hear Toledoth again. This is the record of the generations of Adam. Skip forward to 6, 9. These are the Toledoth generations of Noah. And you keep even going further in the book, even all over, and we've skipped over a bunch uh, to chapter 25, verse Verse 12, now these are the generations of Ishmael, son of Abraham. So same word. So it becomes this, again, think about like the, the Gandalf just said, that, that rolling uh, paragraph there at the beginning 
uh, of Star Wars that the the story at times is segmented by these by these words to say, okay, hey, this is a new episode here, and we're going to slow the story down, and then you skip a bunch. All right, this is a new episode here, and we're going to slow down, uh, and then we're going to skip some more. That seems to be how Genesis works. Only, only in the Bible, the prequels are as good. Uh, unlike Star Wars, in the Bible, the prequels are as good as the main saga with which we are familiar. Oh. <laughs> and, and they're not going back and adding stuff uh, later, right? That's uh, actually, that's, I think that you could make an argument that they actually went back and added the prequels when it comes to the Bible because Moses wrote Genesis in his lifetime. Just saying. Uh, 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 thankfully, George Lucas was not directing it. <laughs> <laughs> So, okay, so the words then, Toledoth, these are the generations, are like equivalent. We're going back to Star Wars of like um, a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. That's They're it. They're designed to bookend story beats and let you cue you in where you know that a new story beat is starting. That's it. It's a long time ago when God created the heavens and the earth for this first one. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and here's what I love because, uh, you know, normally when, if you know, if, if people are not listening to this podcast and that, you know, you just, you read your Bible casually, or maybe you're doing a Bible reading program. I know this as a pastor, uh, our church is doing a Bible reading program. And so often when people get to those sections where there's a genealogy, they just skim it real quick, uh, ask God for a pass on that day's reading and just keep moving on to the story. Uh, but for them, these, these genealogies are hugely important. It's, core truths that are being captured in a very compact form. And I think uh, one of the best examples that we have of this biblically is look at the beginning of the gospel of Matthew. How does Matthew begin? He begins essentially with a totally doth, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. And he uses the same Greek translation that's used for the uh, Greek translation of Genesis here, the genesios, uh, the origins, the genealogies of Jesus Christ, son of David, son of Abraham. And if you look at what Matthew does in Matthew 1, 1 through 17, he, he captures the entire flow of the Old Testament story in 42 generations divided into three sections that really outline the flow of the Old Testament story. It's brilliant and it's beautiful. And, you know, we're used to skipping over those things. For them, they captured profound truths. It was the way of tying the story together. You know, if, if you just jumped uh, out of one Star Wars movie into the next one you'd be like okay what what happened in between uh and these genealogies are the way of capturing what happened in between and and that will play out in some important ways as we continue progressing uh through genesis well unlike star wars uh we will return here next week you don't have to wait another 20 years between installments (laughs) and unlike star wars we do have a plan. We do have it mapped out what we're going to talk about next week. We are not pulling a Ryan Johnson on you guys. So once again, I want to thank you guys for joining us this episode of the podcast. Please subscribe if you're not subscribed and consider uh, either over email or Facebook or whatever, telling someone about the podcast if you think they'd enjoy it. We'll see you guys next week. Shalom. You've been listening to the Better Than Fiction Bible Podcast. If you like what you've just heard and want to support the show, be sure to subscribe to this podcast and leave a positive review on whatever platform you're listening. If you have questions or want to contact us, you can visit our website at www.betterthanfictionbiblepodcast.com.